forgiveness is the most important leadership skill because everything else that we aspire to do when it comes to staying curious and asking brave questions and having empathy and our ability to do those things consistently hinges upon whether or not we're carrying around shame and resentment and fear and suspicion and forgiveness is what frees us of those things. Needing to part ways with someone, it's not giving up on them. It's understanding that when something is deep truth, it serves everyone. Sometimes we are served by situations we don't like at first, but something doesn't have to be desirable in order to be helpful or meaningful. Hey everyone, I'm Claude Silver, and I am an emotional optimist. For me, there is absolutely no false or toxic positivity in emotional optimism. It is simply an awareness that we have the capacity to influence how we feel and how we think, and that even in our darkest times, we know that the light is actually always there. So join me as I ask each and every one of my guests what emotional optimism means to them. It is so wonderful to see you today. Thank you for being with me, Andrea. It's so, so awesome to have you here. Well, thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to speaking with you and I've just admired you for a long time. So I'm honored to do this. Oh my God. Likewise, likewise, likewise. Uh, Before we get into your book and get current in terms of what you do and how you spend your time today and, and where your heart is, I'd love to know who you were at five, like what's your origin story? Where do you, where do you come from? Yeah, well, I come from various small towns in Ohio and um, lived for a while in Nashville when I was a little older than five, but that was a formative time of my childhood as well. Um, And yeah, I was born into a family of creative people. My parents are two of just the most loving and curious and hardworking um, people that I've ever known. And yeah, so like our house had improv all the time. Like uh, my parents had an open door policy. If there was someone that needed somewhere to sleep, someone that needed somewhere to eat, there was always room at the table. There was always an extra bed. And you know, I grew up with it being just normal for uh, for that kind of thing. My dad runs a um, growing recording studio for young artists in Canton, Ohio. And so every musician that was just getting started knew that Ron Flack was going to be there to support him. And so it was just super normal for there to I'd come home from school and it's like there's a there's a dude with a guitar hanging out in the living room. Cool. That's that's normal. I love that. <laughs> yeah, I love that. They even had for a while a guy that had just gotten out of prison and he was trying to get his life in order after leaving a biker gang. And he mm-hmm. lived in our home for months. And people might have thought, like, really, you guys have three young daughters. But my parents just didn't think of it like that. And yeah. so, yeah, they just showed me when I think about emotional optimism. I know we'll get there, but like, I that's my parents, like, just that belief and knowing that there is good and identifying love when they see it no matter what the exterior looks like, you know? Mm. That is so beautiful. And as you were talking, I was just thinking, well, they're very trusting people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And and how wonderful that is to grow up in a household that trusts first. 
rather than prove yourself to me. And then I'll think Mm -hmm. about trusting you. Yeah. I'm so glad you said that. That is one of the greatest gifts I think my parents gave to me was the, the knowledge that I never needed to prove myself to them, that Mm. that love was just there and there was not anything to prove. That's beautiful. And, and you know what, that there's such a trickle down, trickle up effect like that. I'm sure, Hey, you know, I'm sure people picked up on that, that energy from them on the energy that you then had because of that. Um, I always think about how our energy really introduces us before we even open our Mm. mouths, you know, how, when you walk into a room or certainly uh, um, to a meeting, it's people see you before mm-hmm. you say, Hey guys, what's up? Or yeah. before you walk in with your arms crossed and it's like, rah, rah, rah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's yeah. all energy and, and love really, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you were a kid, whatever age, what did you, you know, you're like, Oh, I'm going to be an astronaut. When I grow up, I'm going to be a teacher. What, what was your, I'm going to be a uh, you know, I think I would, I was going to be a musician. I think I watched my dad perform and, um, have written songs about every little thing since I was the tiniest little person. <laughs> and, um, so I think that was probably what I, what I said. And you know what, in a lot of ways, I feel like I have found those creative outlets. So I feel like I became what I set out to be just different uh, technical aspects of it. <laughs> I love that. I mean, that is pretty amazing that and at, even at a young age, you had this inkling and then now, you know, you're, you're still at a young age, you're still like, oh yeah, I see where that red thread is. 100%. There's mm-hmm. always just been this through line for me and maybe mm-hmm. different manifestations of it. You know, like I went on to college to get a social work degree and then took a left turn into uh, producing and performing comedy. <laughs> and, like Everyone in my family was just thrilled when I left a full-time job with retirement benefits and everything <laughs> <I'm sure> they, <laughs> to write sketches. <laughs> I'm like, sure they Good. were. <laughs> well, how did that, how did you make that leap? Or, or was, was comedy, yeah, I understand creativity has always been in your bones and your family, but comedy mm-hmm. seems like a very different piece of pie. Yeah, you know, it is and it isn't. It it was so weird because the first time I was in an improv class, it was like, this is so new, but it feels so familiar. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like the heart of it has always been there. And my dad, anyone in Canton, Ohio knows my dad's laugh. Like you'll hear it in a Target from miles away. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, So that laughter like has always been there um, in my family. And, you know, I grew up with my sisters watching Whose Line Is It Anyway after school. And so it wasn't that it was so unfamiliar, but I also, as I share in the book, like come from just a very, like outside of my immediate family, most of the men in my family are Nazarene pastors. And so there's just like a lot of, I mean, love, but also just, um, there's not a, the Venn diagram of overlap between the Nazarene faith tradition I grew up with and what happens in the comedy theater. (laughs) It's just pretty much two separate circles, you know, <laughs> just two, two donuts sitting right next to oh, each other. Oh boy. I, I really might have to just draw that out later on myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it definitely felt um, unfamiliar, but the, the path there was um, while I was working my full-time job, I had this idea for a tech startup. 
I've just kind of always had that entrepreneurial something in my Mm -hmm. heart. Mm -hmm. And so a couple of my friends went together to this startup weekend event in Pittsburgh that I lived in Pittsburgh for 11 years and we won. And so then I was like, so I'm a social worker in, but I am going to learn how to run a tech company. I did a bad job. It failed horribly. That's another interview for another Right, 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 right. right. (laughs) But, But while I was there, one of the things that we had won was this membership to the Pittsburgh Tech Council. And they offered this workshop called Improv for CEOs. And I was technically the CEO of this thing, this idea. It was a beautiful idea that I was not the person to be the CEO of. (laughs) Um, So I went and I knew that it would be fun because I had watched Who's Line. And so I I knew that, you know, that it would be fun, but I didn't realize how meaningful it would be. I didn't realize I was going to get there and it would be like church that I understand in my soul, you know, like this. idea of be in this moment now and trust that without a plan, without getting all thinky and proofy, that you'll find exactly what you need by just listening carefully to the people in this room. There's no better scene partner somewhere else. The people in this room are the perfect people. This moment is all that you need and you'll find it if you can just be brave and humble together. And I was just like, yeah. Wow. Yeah, wow. this is what I need. <laughs> I mean, you actually just blew my mind because what you said is so true. And yet I can tell you with my hand on my heart, when I think about improv, I think about being scared to death. Sure. <laughs> right? And mm-hmm. not, not knowing how to do the yes and and inventing some kind of like story. But actually what you said is so true. It really is being in the moment, creating a space with someone or people and catching what comes mm-hmm. out, you know, catching mm-hmm. uh, and, and having a play with people really like in, in connection and, and concert with each other. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And, and all that has transpired since then has been improv. Like I just knew in my heart, this is, this needs to be in my life. I don't know how, but it needs to be in my life. And when Share Closet fell apart, that was my tech startup idea. When that officially, it was clear that we were out of dollars and out of options. Um, I found those two tickets. The guy that led the workshop was like, here's tickets to come to the theater. So my husband, Kyle, and I went down and I was like, yep, I'm going to start taking classes. And so one thing led to another. I started taking more and more. I started auditioning. I started just like getting more and more involved. And then everything after that, I just literally never shut up about how beautiful and amazing it was. And so people started asking me to come talk to their church group or their company or whatever. The first time I actually said, no, I was like, I don't, I don't know how to do that. Like, <laughs> you know, and they were like, aren't, isn't yes. And the whole thing with improv. Like, okay, fine, get off my ass. <laughs> that's so funny. You don't, you're like, no, it's like, but wait a second, that's what you do. That's yeah. what you that's what you love doing. It's just a different way to look at it, right? Yeah. And then it became so clear to me. The first time I ever did an improv workshop, like with a group of people, it was social workers. So it was like my tribe, you know, who were helping refugees that had come to America and then found themselves victims of domestic violence once they were here. And so they were helping them to double escape really, you know? Yeah. And so these caseworkers, I was like, 
you guys are living improv. You're already good at this. <laughs> you know, you're already good at this. It's just a matter of identifying what are the tools so you can more readily call upon them, you know, right. in the moment. Right. And just like, I just remember connecting with people on like what it is to be curious instead of judgmental, what it means to walk in with curiosity instead of being sure you know what kind of person you're dealing with or whatever. And like watching that hit them, like really hit them, you know? And I mean, I remember what I was wearing. I just was like, I think that this is why I'm on this planet. Like this is, I think what I love the most ever. Yeah. That's like a eureka (laughs) moment. I, I have to just say, like, you have completely, like I said, blown my mind and flipped this on its head for me in a way that I just never put improv into my world. And when I think about what I do all day, when I think about how we hold space for people, mm-hmm. we don't have to have the answer. It is about being non-judgmental. It is not about being the authority. It is sharing the space creating safety, mm-hmm. doing what you will with whatever comes into the space. That mm-hmm. is absolute improv. Yes, I, there's a tool belt. And, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes you need a chisel. Sometimes you need a hammer. And sometimes you don't have whatever. And so you say, okay, what's the closest thing to a wrench? Oh, that that might work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Absolutely. Me, you've blown my mind. I'm so I'm so into this. Wow. This is well, really cool. I love it. And and you're certainly not the first person to hear about improv and be like, I could never do that. Like, that sounds terrifying. And I'm like, yeah. And when I, the, the truth is that what's scary is the performance aspect. You know, the idea of getting in front of people. And yeah, it still quite honestly gives me a degree of boob sweat that I'm not comfortable with. When, <laughs> like those moments in the green room right beforehand. Like, yeah, that's real. It's... <laughs> Drunk people have paid money for it to be funny and <laughs> they just don't care what happens. Like right, right, the right, lights right. go down and they come back up and no one is going to save you until your time is done. So oh my yes, gosh. that part of it, ha- but, but it's so, it's like immersion therapy for me. Like yeah. I have, you know, come from this environment where I, yes, I had parents that were so just loving, unconditionally loving to me. And also they had also been steeped in that framework where there was just very clear expectations for mm-hmm. behavior and right and wrong. And I come from Nazarenes believe in this idea of sanctification, which is like Christian perfection. You know, mm-hmm. there's a clear right and a clear wrong. And by the grace of God, you can choose the right thing every time. And that's like a lot of pressure. And yeah. And so, <laughs> uh, for me to find an environment where it's like the deep truth that was always there, even in those moments of Jesus camp that were overwhelming to me and left me feeling not enough. There was this deeper truth there. That's like, but I am love. You know that, right? Like that's the, you know, and then finding improv and this environment that it's just all about like sacrificial support of your scene partner, (laughs) you know, I wrote this piece called Finding God and Improv that was published in the Mennonite. Um, and it, like, I get that it's hard for people to understand. And the performance aspect is not necessarily the same as the improv that you do day in and day out. But, but there is similarity, you know, like it's that heart is the same. The mm-hmm. principles of yeah. like, be present now, you have everything that you need inside of you. 
the answer is in your scene partner's eyes. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's just like the good stuff, you know? That is the good stuff. And and quite frankly, that is very spiritual. Yeah. Also, or, or religious, if people want to take it there. But um, I think, again, that shared space, and you just said, like, the answer is in your scene partner's eyes, knowing that that person isn't going to let you down because you're in this together, you know, mm. and you are one in the same, quite frankly, you know. And- it's safe to keep trying to build with someone if they have let you down. Like that's one of my big things. So my book, not to make a segue. No, but no, no, no. Like that was the okay. next thing anyway. Wait, <laughs> yeah. your, your book is called The Funny Thing About Forgiveness. What mm-hmm. every leader needs to know about improv culture and the world's least favorite F word. Boom. Yes. Okay. Now let's talk about your book. <laughs> yes. So the idea in the book is firstly that forgiveness is the most important leadership skill because everything else that we aspire to do when it comes to staying curious and asking brave questions and having empathy. And I'm actually halfway through Gary's book. And so like those 12 Mm -hmm. (laughs) things, you know, it's like our ability to do those things consistently hinges upon whether or not we're carrying around shame and resentment and fear and suspicion. And forgiveness is what frees us of those things you know? And what is so beautiful to me in improv is this idea that you're going to get it wrong in front of each other. Like a house team is made up of people that a theater just like picks. You don't get to choose who those people are. And sometimes that works out great. And other times it does not work out so great. (laughs) And, but what's the invitation of improv is to be like, can you believe that this imperfect person who maybe you saw their audition and you were like, ugh, I am way funnier than that person or whatever self-righteous things. Some people, (laughs) definitely not me, have going on there. (laughs) You know, whatever that is, can you trust that imperfect people can still build something amazing with you? Because like everything that exists was built by imperfect people choosing to collaborate anyway, you know? And so the way that we get there is forgiveness, you know? And, And choosing to believe that Maybe I'm right. This is not erasing anyone's experience. Maybe I'm right that what happened was hurtful and painful. And this person was unprofessional and was rude or whatever. Can I believe that we're more than the worst thing about us? Can Mm. I believe that that person is more than that one thing? Yeah. You know, you just, you literally are, are speaking my language, speaking Gary's language. The, um, so we have a just inherent, it's not even a policy. It's just who we are. We trust first. Yeah. And that is not easy for everyone. You have right. to really let go of a lot of armor and mm. a lot of rust and a lot of whatever, whatever to actually trust yeah. that that imperfect person is here, is showing up, is doing the best they can. And they'll get back up on the horse tomorrow, just like you can. Because guess what? We're mirrors of each other. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I love that what you, what you said that, like, can you trust that whatever happened, that person cut you off in the meeting or cut you off driving or flipped you off or whatever, like, yes. yeah, they're having a bad day too, but there is hope, you know, someone wakes up in the morning every single day with hope in their hearts for that person, mm-hmm. just like they do for you, for me. And I know what it is. So our children came to us through an emergency shelter foster care placement, which I share a little bit about in the book, but not a ton because it that's not my story to share. 
But the half of it that is my story is I know what it feels like to be someone who believes this with my whole heart, who does my very best to live this, you know, this work. And I also know what it feels like to sit in a room when a social worker is like these two kids that you've loved for a year, they're going to be gone in 60 days. And I know what it feels like to sit there imagining packing up their things and waking up to a quiet house. And I know what it feels like to then go into the world and be in a long line and feel like there's a knife stuck in my chest and then try to choose curiosity instead of judgment. And I know what it is to do that imperfectly, you know? And so, you know, a lot of it is just like, for me, just this grace that for myself too, because to be honest, what I've been reflecting on the most today and yesterday and this week has been like forgiving myself and giving myself grace to be authentic as I am in this work and in this book while also knowing I'm not perfect and it's hard to be a parent at all and it's hard to be an adoptive parent now and you know like there's like this piece of it that's like this is why in the book it's like we have to start within ourselves yeah because we cannot extend grace to other people if the truth is that we are sitting around just berating ourselves for you know the sanctification standard <laughs> you know like yeah you're either christian perfect or evil one of those two things uh, yeah i mean roll the dice right but <laughs> and yeah. i don't even know what perfect is but what you're talking about is so near and dear to my heart and and my my goal, I don't even know if it's a goal. It's just what I want to do is really remove shame from this world mm-hmm. by, yes. by bringing more tenderness into this world. And to use your word, forgiveness, because mm-hmm. that's the way that we can get there. And it does start with self. And the conversation I was having in my normal day-to-day work uh, before we got on onto this was talking to someone who has has chosen took a leave of absence just for some um, emotional health, mental health reasons, has come back, has chosen to take a little bit of a demotion actually, because hmm. uh, they understood that the role they were in was causing burnout, and whatnot. And I honor that. I honor that so much. However, you can tell that they haven't forgiven themselves. And they're still holding this little bit of embarrassment. And mm. so they want us to take the conversation into like work, 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 work. And I just said, we can talk about work all day long, but I really want to talk about you. Yeah. Like, how are, how are you? Have you forgiven yourself? Like, are you being gentle with yourself? Yeah. And we ended up, you know, that's where we ended up going with the conversation and then talking about, you know, books and podcasts and how funny it is, like when you're in those moments where you feel like your world is cracking open and I and I should say breaking down before it cracks open, uh, this person was saying how much anxiety they had trying to, trying to find the right podcast or book to listen to. And I was like, oh then we got to do something about it if that's what's happening out there. Yeah. But to, but to your point, I think, um, and what we're talking about is just the, the, the self-forgiveness and mm. allowing yourself to be imperfectly perfect, but beautifully you. 
mm-hmm. authentically you, because there is no other you than yeah. you. And forgiveness helps us to do that. And it helps us do really hard things like hold support and accountability together, for example. Um, and when I use the word accountability, I mean, like, I, I guess, to be honest, I don't know what your day in and day out job is. I've concocted an idea of what I think it is from following you on LinkedIn. But I imagine, and correct me if I'm wrong, that were there to be a situation where someone is stepping outside of the values of VaynerMedia, that it would be your job to be like, kind of have the coming alongside conversation and be like, hey, that's not how we treat people here. Or that's not how, um, that's right. Is that correct? That's a, that a, a huge part of it. Yeah. Okay. And so that's what I mean when I say accountability. Um, when I was reading Gary's book, I realized that he uses that term kind of like holding yourself accountable, which is also really important. Um, but I just wanted to clarify when I use it, I'm talking about like the responsibility of leaders to say, we don't just have the posters up. <laughs> we yeah, right. Like we care about inclusion. And so what that means is that on a day in and day out basis, it doesn't matter if I, if it's the highest performer, like there is an expectation of how people will be treated and how they will be made to feel when they're here. You got <laughs> and, that right. Yeah. Yeah. And so that can be really hard to do. And uh, this is where I would love to discuss ad nauseum, the concepts of motivational interviewing. Are you familiar with that at all? Yes, I am. Yeah, let's go. Oh, you have a background in psychology. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> Our Venn diagram has a lot more overlap than Nazarene faith and comedy. In a big way. In a big Our, way. We're, we're complimentary donuts. We are very complimentary donuts. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So one of the things that has brought me so much joy, like in my social worker days, I was learning all about motivational interviewing and using it more in like a, a very clinical research setting. That was my job right out of college. Um, but those principles of like coming alongside and, you know, understanding autonomy and understanding, um, like even the elicit provide elicit nature of motivational interviewing is so in alignment with the idea of mindful improv, honor your scene partner. Totally. You know? totally. And so one of the things that I have felt most, I almost said most proudest, I have written a book and grammar. <laughs> But <laughs> most proud of in the pandemic times when I don't know if you heard, but events got canceled. And so everything I had built like went away in 18 hours. And I was like, okay, real life, yes, and time, you know. <laughs> Anyhow, it was this I this coming together of mindful improv and motivational interviewing in a way that can be taught in a virtual environment mm-hmm. and therefore uh was pandemically safe Sound, and safe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the reason that I bring it up now is just this accountability piece and what a joy it is to introduce people who are in similar positions where they are responsible to hold people accountable, but yet don't have this understanding, like this trans theoretical model understanding of relapse is a part of the process. So needing to come back to someone again and say, let's talk about this, like without the understanding of behavior change, there's this feeling of, so were you not listening? Is this just not important to you? (laughs) But when we understand relapse is a part of the journey, then the conversation we have is what led up to that? Like that moment right before you Mm -hmm. fired off that email, what was going on right then? It would be helpful to know that so that we can um, 
get some course correction in place, you know? Yeah. I, I love that you say that. And and by the way, relapse is part of the part part of the process. And what I have learned, and it has probably been harder for me to accept early on in this role, is that I mean, I've always known I can't change anyone except myself. Mm-hmm. But in the workplace, I had I lived with a mythology of, hey, this is the greatest place in the world to work. You want to make it, you want to make this work, right? And if that's the case, then let's. Let's talk about your behavior and let's talk about ways to modify it that would work for everyone, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and and probably provide you more happiness and less cynicism. Yes. Right. And in, in you know, probably a handful, if not two handfuls of, of experiences I've had in, at Vayner, we haven't been able to do that. And it just hasn't been a possibility. And that, like I say, took me a little bit longer to get like, but you want to make this work, right? And sometimes mm-hmm. that's not the driving motivation. The driving motivation is to be right. Um, and yeah. I can't do much with that. Right. Well, this is the reason why I have loved so much the coming together of mindful improv with motivational interviewing, because mindful improv in that situation says that's a scene edit. So in improv, it's like a scene is happening and edit means an improviser runs across the front of the stage and the stage is emptied to make room for the next scene. And that's what a scene edit means. End of this scene, commence new scene. But in improv, nothing is forgotten. A beautiful improvism. (laughs) And we can always revisit those characters and themes and ideas later in the show when we've had time to be freshly inspired by new information, you know, and there is nothing that is more delicious than a perfectly timed callback. Like that's when you bring the house down with like picking up the imaginary baseball bat somebody left there in the first scene and the audience is like, what? You remembered the baseball bat? And things that like aren't hilarious when I just say them now, but in the moment are like gold. Yeah. And so that's the same thing, like needing to part ways with someone. It's not giving up on them. You know, it's understanding that when something is deep truth, it serves everyone, Mm. you know, and sometimes we are served by situations we don't like at first, but something doesn't have to be desirable in order to be helpful or meaningful or purposeful. And so, you know, mindful improv encourages us to view everything as a gift. That's like one of the big deals with improv. You make it work by receiving everything as a gift. So we don't have to be afraid of those times when it's like, okay, we worked our motivational interviewing process and we have re-engaged and we have explored with curiosity instead of judgment. And also now like we have to part ways, scene edit, but that's yeah. not giving up. You know, yeah. that's not, yeah, you get, I could talk I, about it. <laughs> I, no, I can talk about this forever. And I'm, I'm thinking about how we actually put that into practice in a workplace, which is, for example, if we do have to part ways, one of the things we try to do immediately is make sure that that person, you know, goes onto LinkedIn, find three, three, five companies that they want to be set up with, figure out who, you know, who the top dog is or who Gary knows or who the CMO is, and at least set up a conversation. Can't promise a job at all, anything like that. And then we also have an alumni network. So if you left us or we parted ways with you, we have loads and loads of jobs that other companies are knocking on our doors for all the time. 
um, you know, whether or not they need a social media manager or whether or not they need a brand manager or whatever. And then we have a list of all of our ex-employees that we go mm-hmm. through and say, that person might be good. That person, that job that you have there, that position is going to be too fast for that person. However, you know, Bob over there would be phenomenal at that brand or something. So anyway, just, yeah. just, just thinking about how we continue the relationship, because I think what I'm understanding also from mindful improv and what we're talking about is it's relationship based. It's yes. connection based without yeah. that connection. You're not going to get fed that next line or you're, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's not, there's no there there. Right. Right. Even if they serve it up, you might not have heard it. <laughs> right. You might not have heard it. And, yeah. and you all of a sudden might find yourself not with a teammate. And I can imagine just like in the workplace, when you find that you cannot rely on your teammate, Mm. how upsetting that can be, how disappointing, how scary that can be, especially if you're on stage, but certainly if you're in the middle of a pitch, Mm -hmm. you know, or, 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 you know, working and slogging through to get that campaign launched for Super Bowl, like Mm -hmm. you need one another. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, just everything you're saying, I feel like this could be a 37 hour conversation. It wouldn't even be enough. I mean, my whole journey of discovering mindful improv really was firstly, you know, I just loved improv, never shut up about how much I loved it. And so I was like, all of a sudden there's speaking engagements and I'm like, okay, I guess I should find uh, non-torn up clothes that fit. Like, I guess we're doing this now. Um, but then, you know, I started realizing like, okay, this is deeply meaningful to me. And I want to know that this is helpful beyond 90 minutes where we leave now. She was adorable. And I'm like, great. Like, did we do something adorable. meaningful here? Like, you know, um, and so I was like, really what this is, you know, it's not just team building. It's not just whatever. It's about culture. And the more I thought about it, I was like, okay, but culture is really about trust. So when I was like unpacking that, I got to confrontation and realized trust happens in confrontation. Like that's where culture is built. It's not like the ping pong tables and whatever. It's like, how do you receive feedback? How do you give feedback? When there's tension, like how do you handle it? When someone's coming to you saying, it feels like nobody cares that I'm here, you know, like that those are the moments those are golden beautiful opportunities when people are so brave and so vulnerable to speak their truth and then when i thought about like what makes confrontation go well that's when i got to forgiveness and like the first time that i ever posted a workshop i used to do in pre-pandemic days like community workshops where just anyone could buy a ticket and come and it wasn't like married to a company necessarily mm-hmm. and then that got 2020 um, <laughs> 2020. <laughs> but uh, the first time I ever posted one that sold out the same day, it was called, I think it was called Freedom Through Confrontation or something that was really simple. And it was right before Thanksgiving and it was during an election year. And people were just like, yeah, I basically hate half of the people in my family and I don't know what to do about it. Like, <laughs> and what was born out of that was just my understanding that... <laughs> We want to be loving. We want that. And we want to stand behind our values, you know, and be seen 
for who we are and feel like there's, especially in our families and in places where we expect to feel safe, we want to be able to be all of who we are, you know, and not feel like we have to keep it in fakey, fakey, you know, safe territory or something. And so when I started really like unpacking the questions people asked and just really centering to hear from Mama You, as I call her. Uh, <laughs> I adore you. This is amazing. <laughs> I was like, you know, it's we do it backwards. We expect that what will happen is we'll muster all of our courage to enter into confrontation. And then we'll see if somebody earns our forgiveness. We'll see what they have to say. And we'll decide if we can get to a place of forgiveness. But what became so clear to me is that forgiveness comes first. It has to come first because then, ah, I love this so much because then what happens is you walk into that conversation and you don't need it to be anything. You're not putting your freedom in someone else's hands, you know, and then they are holding the keys to your ability to build something that you're proud of instead of something that you can tolerate, you know, like you, you, when you forgive first, you walk in and it's like, this is an optional conversation for me. And because I have forgiven, I now feel like I'm able to invite you on this growth journey with me. I'm growing and I'm inviting you into that with me. And that's when something actually positive can happen in confrontation, you know, because even when it comes to the most I don't know if sensitive is the right word. The most tender, the the most difficult conversations that we're having right now around race and gender and and these things, you know, my work isn't just about, I shouldn't say just because I believe in huge, amazing things for companies that embrace the type of culture you guys are building. Um, I believe it is the secret to world peace. More on that later. If we want. <laughs> um, But, you know, also I've just had the opportunity during the pandemic to connect with pastors and community movement organizers, you know, and, and people that are helping teenagers lead gangs, you know? And so there's, there's deeper, I, I hate that I said deeper, other vast horizon conversations around what does forgiveness first look like in confrontation. And the conversation I find myself having with folks over and over is, well, what do you, what, what do you hope will happen in this conversation? Mm. Because you're right that you don't have to forgive anyone. I am not the forgiveness police. And it is never helpful to tell someone else, you know, that it's time to move on. That's not what this is. It is a question of, do you want this person to know that you're angry or would you like this person to do better next time? Because if you're inviting this person into an environment where you've got all the bullet points laid out and you know exactly what needs to be said to this kind of person. It's really vulnerable to learn in front of someone. Mm. It's, it's brave to say that hard stuff to someone, but it's maybe braver to hear it and receive it. To really sit in your body and not fight, flight, freeze Mm -hmm. out of there. Hello. Yeah, Yeah. That takes a real brave human being to sit yeah. there and receive, mm-hmm. take the gift, be accountable, mm-hmm. dot, dot, dot. And, you know, I have had a lot of learning to do on my journey, you know, and when I remember beliefs that I used to hold, it just breaks my heart, you know, and, but this is where I love you talked about like that through line earlier, 
always inside of me. It was not my intention to be hurtful or hateful or bigoted, you know? And so as I continued, when it was just me and God beyond the God I name at night, and I'm trying to figure out like, am I doing this right? (laughs) You know, like, am I a good person? Am I a loving person? In those moments is when that deep truth could be whispered to me, you know, and maybe some of the conversations that I was having were starting to get a new light and maybe different things were coming up for me. And we don't get to see that work that other people are doing. That doesn't mean that it's not happening, Yeah, you know, and yeah. That's huge. I just, I have to, I have to say, I, I'm going to just use that as a tie-in. That was magical what you just said. We don't get to see the work that other people are doing just like we don't know what happens in those two to three hours before someone starts their day job. Mm-hmm. We have no idea if they worked out, if they slept in, if the kid's cereal bowl fell all over. Did they have a fight with their spouse or partner? Did the dog run away? You know, did they have the best morning of their life? We have no idea. And that's where you have to give grace, mm-hmm. I believe, to that you know, and that's uh, give grace and also be a human. Hey, how are you? How is your morning? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like when I start my, my uh, Zooms or even when we're in the office, it's like, hey, tell me, how did you get here? Sometimes people say, you mean the train? <laughs> well, sure. You could tell me about, and I say, yeah, sure. You could tell me about your commute, but I'm interested in like, how did we find you? How did you find us? What, like, what's going on? What do you, you know, oh, you, and I, I love that uh, learning about them. And then I can also learn about maybe how they do start their days. I learned so much from you today and, uh, and feel more peaceful actually. And, um, and more humble after talking with you about mindful improv today. So thank you. Well, I am delighted to hear that. Nothing can feel like a greater compliment or just testament to mindful improv than that. That's always the goal. Thank you, Andrea. I'll talk to you later. Have a great (laughs) one. Thank you so much, Claude.